0: snowed in. It was the worst snow in San Francisco's recent history, and so late in the season, too. The power had been out for days and the city was still. Occasionally a few kids would take to the hill outside my window with their sleds, but for the most part people were sparse. I had leafed through every book on the shelf, some twice over so I didn't miss anything. It was logic suitable for the level of commitment I was willing to make at the time. I was restless, too restless to read. In the end, it was a lopsided bedskirt that captured my attention and got me on the floor. The pens were too short, that was for sure. A fascinating conclusion that could have easily filled my entire afternoon if not for noticing the corner of the box sticking out from behind the stack of antique textbooks and faded biographies that were holding up a corner of the bed. A box I hadn't forgotten, but certainly hadn't thought of in a while. In fact, a box I knew very well and stayed far away from. Until this day, anyway. It was a puzzle box, a jigsaw, a thousand-piece snowscape with a big red barn, an idyllic setting fit for the sale of winter wear or condensed soup. But more importantly, the perfect visualization for our shared sensibilities. We were starry eyed like that and painted endless hours of our own postcard essence. It was a box chosen, at the time, for convenience and matters of self preservation, that after being pulled from the doodad filled depths of my funky smelling past seemed painfully appropriate. I filled it five years earlier, but convinced myself it hadn't been that long. I was stuck, and these days time moved differently. Fast, but jerky. Names and dates seemed to land right on top of one another, each the same tick on a still-to-be-determined timeline. But relevant and reachable. Necessary. So I grabbed a cup of tea from the old steam radiator, still putting out heat, took the box and settled into the love seat by the window as a small group of boys, wrapped head to toe, came outside to stake their claim. I had filled the box with wine corks like packing peanuts and now was forced to dig, plucking the occasional winner like a bingo ball. A rascal Ford from our first night together, still wearing a deep blush that smelled as if it had just been popped a beset brute celebrating her return to the city with a hug that made me melt with the gooiness of a pat of butter. An eight-dollar dog ear still reeking of presumed grapes and paint thinner, which naturally had absorbed the color from the faces of what I assumed was a once-smiling family on the front of a Willy World brochure. Now headless, with white streaks, waving, I shot him a smirk with a cock of the head and waved back and a Rosalie Chianti from when we stayed in burned the fish and she said I was her favorite. An elderly woman shouting bingo rang out in my head as a drop of the Chianti passed from the cork to my finger. It was sweet. I kept digging. On its side, past the corks, was a die-cast roadster I picked up for her father but never got the chance to give him. A black 1980 Predator with T-top and spoiler similar to the life-size one he owned when she was little 164th scale in fact a distinction i make now as the man at the nostalgia shop convinced me was the most popular scale with a gesture so grand i thought he would have to accept me if not call me son upon placing it in his hand while simultaneously feeling an irresistible compulsion to confide in me his most profound, most vulnerable secrets over an expensive cognac he was unwittingly saving for such a rare commencement, before sitting us both down to peruse paint swatches for the nurseries of his future grandchildren, which he would undoubtedly encourage me with a direct nod and heartfelt nudge as if to say, go get busy on that. I was committed peering through the tiny driver's side window I admired the miniature detail scarlet red upholstery, dash and wheel and recalled her telling me of their coastal outings and the real thing and Sunday trips to the drive-in for burgers even though he worshipped the car she said that he let her and her sister and brother eat in it and paid no mind to crumbs on the floor or greasy fingerprints on the windows. He told us he loved the car, but loved us more, she once said, dabbing a fry into her signature medley of ketchup and mustard, meticulously mixed to such a sensible portion, I might add, until suddenly one day just favoring ketchup. The one time I did meet him, dinner at their home in the South Bay, the ceremonial meeting of the parents, slash informal appraisal of potential dowries, he spoke of it and their times driving through the Redwoods with such relish and pride, a subject that effortlessly through glee continued into a story of their family vacation to Florida, which brought out a deck of Polaroids right there in the kitchen, kept together by a rubber band and produced seemingly from thin air, I could see myself in all of them Standing there with the family Firing off a toothy grin And a goofy hat And splashed in a flash With big red eyes Standing next to a table Of sea sponges And a plaster shark Sticking my head in its jaws And pretending I was stuck Just like one of the gang There was so much love in that house So much togetherness I wanted more than anything To be a part of their family My second family but it didn't matter. I was new and still sitting through orientation, if not back in some recruiter's reception, stagnantly waiting for them to return from a three-hour lunch. I didn't have the same standing as him. He had years on me, and this was his family, his only family. Not her father, her he, her other he, the one before me, the one whose presence I felt everywhere, A pickup shot from moments ago rang through my thoughts. An insert of the celebratory cognac suddenly revealed to have a broken seal. Even though he was gone, she carried him with her wherever we went, and each day our relationship got a little more crowded. Not to mention the Polaroids. I didn't know his face, but suddenly there he was, joining us in Florida. Tall, fantastic hair, and with a charming Latin flair. My imagination was brutal. And to pile it on, his seashell bikini bit was getting all the laughs. Her mother dealt out the remaining Polaroids in my head like a blackjack dealer with a compulsion, each one favoring me a little more as I slunk off from the shark while her family wailed with laughter and gave him my hat. Romanticized through the window of a toy car, a slideshow of static reminiscing on the evening cycled through a cognitive carousel, snapped securely in the center of my brain, with someone else's hand on the clicker. I squinted beyond the ever-stretching centimeter of front seats to find the two of us sitting together on the sofa, the family's living room framed by painted steel and back projected like some shuddering forties noir flick. A slide of her doing that weird thing with her eye for her sister. A slide of her brother passing by, trailing with a remark that advanced into one with her in hysterics, one of her classic fits. I suddenly found myself shrunk down in the back seat of the comfortably spacious 164th most popular scale and fixed on her longingly. A rapid fire series of slides shot off creating the moving image of her howling with laughter silently. The image flickered, finding frames and fluidity with each second. I hadn't seen that kind of joy from her in so long. It reminded me of how she used to look at me. At that moment, as she composed herself, I noticed a memory pass through her thoughts, an association. And suddenly, with a wince, I felt the weight of her love for him. A love she tried to deny. Instantly, I felt the plastic upholstery digging into my spine and the crampedness of a shrinking back seat. Uh, A little room back here, I thought. But all that came out was... uh, I... I quickly glanced outside the window at the family's living room just in time to see her pull me in close on the sofa. She kissed me and smiled, and I put the car back in the fucking box. The whistling kettle came to my aid. Thank God, I needed a break. The kids outside with the sleds had built a ramp and were getting pretty good air. One of them ate it bad and came up laughing with a mouthful of snow. I chuckled. He was clearly deranged. Their plane rang out, bouncing off the buildings and was met with silence. Most everybody had gotten out of the city early before the heavy stuff hit. The ones with chains and four-wheel drive at least which was damn near everyone these days. So between the kids and me, we own the town. This was my first big freeze in the city, but it felt familiar and routine. Everything crystallized and white, blanketed in winter light. Weeping trees weighted with snow. Bay windows tapered with caked icicles, covering up all that fancy trim. Across the square, I could see the rotating W of the Wolvert Room standing stationary, frozen atop a frosted-over Sebastian Norton Hotel. Below me, a snowplow worked its way down bush, but basically just burned fuel, careening through the overnight snowdrifts, depositing white on top of white. Still none of it felt strange, it all seemed so natural, almost purifying. I imagine the icy hibernal cityscape on a puzzle box, sitting on store shelves and stacked high into a cone-shaped display in the center of the showroom. The sentiment cloned over and over in a capitalistic fury one might find with a Christmas-Valentine's Day crossover. The price printed in big block red and black numbers crossed out and marked up. Feverishly hurrying to snag theirs was a revolving door of sorry forlorn saps with personified foresight presumably kept in a cage by the side of someone's bed. I saw myself in the frenzy, wrestling a dented in and slightly opened issue away from a particularly pitiful looking sort, who pleaded with me, repeating a single girl's name with each fitful yank on the puzzle from my grasp. I pushed him to the floor and rushed to get in line. You never know. Half an hour later, I stood there in the middle of my room, sipping, toes frozen, staring at the box on the love seat, telling myself this was good. You love this, I thought, then said aloud You love this. I grabbed a sweater, plugged the drafty window with winter socks, and went back to sifting through corks, this time like I was panning for gold. I even threw in a one-handed shake to show off, more convince myself, how naturally comfortable I was with the whole situation. And shaken to the surface was just the nugget, a vintage maple cane soda cap from her grandparents farm up in the hills. By her accounts, they were a delightfully hippie duo that had been lovers for fifty years. I never got to meet them or visit the farm, but I had seen a lot of photos. I remembered one lazy afternoon at her place in the city. Their place. Their old place. Their place. Laying around looking at pictures she had taken of the property. It was so serene. And the way she captured outside the frame with her words. descriptions and flowery digression, the little stories that came with each snapshot. She made me feel as if I spent as much time up there as she had. I know how much you'd appreciate it, she said, handing me a weirdly time-stamped print of an autumn-soaked stump lined with glazed terracotta pots. I thought about how she made me feel unique like that, how she saw me, how she knew what made me move what made us move, what arrested me and made me feel the most alive, how she tickled that side of me, a side she said she adored, a side she said he didn't share. She spoke of her visits to the farm as a kid with such whimsy, packing a bag each day and heading off, going off to explore, to learn, to be curious. A childlike wonderment she maintained and matured as an adult, She loved her grandparents' farm. They bought the land in 68, or around then, 20-some acres where they farmed on a hilltop and produced mosaic landscapes and portraits from old bottle caps, typically large-scale commissions for people from all over. They were upholsterers by trade, but were revered by the community for their rustic art and kind-heartedness. A number of their pieces littered the nearby town, in front of the Trudy Cafe, inside the local bank, at the Heritage Center, a townscape with the founders' faces, and even on the side of a railway roadhouse, the East Pacific, now a museum, over in the neighboring Slosh Station or county or something, around there, off California 4, at the base of the Sierras, a two and a half hour drive from the city. I made it once, having no idea where I was going, no exact destination mapped, and some silly, desperate last-ditch effort to sway her my direction after she told me she needed some time to think, after they spoke, following her return west. I didn't want her to go and wasn't going to tell her no, but she promised, and he wasn't making things any easier. I had the chicken salad at Trudy's and sat across from her grandparents' recreation of what a tarnished gold plaque at the bottom informed me was Pitchwillow Mountain, near their farm, painstakingly assembled using polished soda caps. Red bottled root beer and Dandy's cream soda made up most of the mountain, with a few highlights from Big Dixie ginger ale. The execution was similar to the mosaic of her as a child somewhat weathered and adorning the side of the shed behind her grandparents' greenhouse. She showed me on that easy-going afternoon at hers, spread out, floating on our backs on the sun-baked carpet. I imagined the formation of bottle caps, complemented by the sky-blue wallpaper pattern, rearranging themselves like a crude stop-motion animation, pushing in tighter on the scene, snaking and racing They depicted her as a little girl flying up the mountain, scaling trees and bouncing off boulders. The Caps danced inside the generic wood frame, winding single file and scattering into a summer scene at the farm with the whole family, locking on the composition of an oddly leather upholstered dining room table. Her voice whispered in my ear seductively, leather. Fall, winter, spring, the scene cycled through the seasons and advanced the years, birthdays and graduations, her pregnant, her third, and stuffing envelopes with his hands on her shoulders and a kiss goodnight on the cheek. Son of a bitch. Glancing back at the plaque, I noticed the inscription replaced with a rough laser-etched illustration of her as a child and a quote. Something she told me near the end about how she felt towards him. It's just... It's primal. Check, please! I remembered crying out with crippling haste, while at the same time considering complaining to Trudy about the artwork in her establishment. Instead, I paid my bill, gave her the space she wanted, and drove back to the city in the dead of a weekday night. drained. I left the love seat to boil more water. Pinging and ponging of the radiator faded off into the cold stillness of the room, where I escaped for a moment. An oversized pen from the bedskirt skirt dropped onto the floor with the sound of a water droplet and sent silent ripples across the hardwood, mirrored in my tea. Immediately, I found myself cast in the shadow of a towering figure in front of me. It was Her looming over what had become a colossal teacup. A maniacal grin stretched across her face, her eyes wild while she laughed with lunacy, steeping the enormous tea bag which I envisioned myself trapped inside. Transformed and on a string, my arms and legs flailing inside a soaked sack as she cackled, dunking me vigorously while I gasped for air. She always loved a strong cup. I panicked and fought back, trying to keep my head above the tea line All of a sudden, she lifted me out of the cup and squeezed me full-fisted, wringing me one-handed and discarded me with a fling to the countertop. After some time dried out, I came too slowly with the growing sound of the kids outside shrieking with unbridled amusement. All right, let's hurry this along, I thought, retaking my post on the love seat. I waded through the rich compound of cork and emotional anguish as the edge of a ticket stub raked across the tip of my finger. It was from the Master's Theater in a black-and-white double feature. Springtime Story and the Montague Valdez with that Cuban actor from the old pancake commercials. She had just gotten back into the city. A year earlier, she moved east for a while to give them some space and see if they were going to last. That's when we started up. Late night, long distance. But none of that mattered. She was back and we were sewn together at the hip, as well as a few other parts. Even our shared adoration for cinema couldn't keep us apart. After all that waiting, we were finally together and no amount of silver screen reverence could distract us. Running my finger over the ticket's perforation, I recalled the calm and elation that washed over me that night in the theater all those songs were coming true, which I couldn't for the life of me remember. I thought of when she took my hand and sandwiched it between hers and her lap before leaning over and whispering, I choose you. Quickly I noticed the ink had leaked from the ticket and suddenly it felt brittle. What a crock, I said out loud. Then thought something poignantly cheesy like, His image remained on screen long after she turned off the projector. My sorrow had turned sappy. Right then and there, I devised the perfect response, concocted from the fanciful depths of my headlong musing. Inside the Masters, with a meager audience of loners and soon to be elderly, someone clearing their throat and another sneezing, we joined him on screen, the three of us transported dulled up with billowy blouses and painted-on pants, eyeliner and mascara poppin', on the lower veranda of a sweaty hacienda, embattled in a dueling three-way tango. Together they glided across the dusty terrazzo with passion-filled precision. Damn that Latin flair. And what hair. His title card taunted me with a colorful quip as they half-turned just in front of me. The exit's over there, it read while he motioned with his head to the theater's emergency exit. Their bodies swelled with the score. A woman in the audience, 40s, eating popcorn, watched with a sort of casual investment. A man, 60s, mouth hanging open, looked on through thick glasses, the lenses blue, filled with the reflection of the movie screen, and his snore right on cue. Back up on the screen, she took my hand in a close-up. It was our time. Promptly, the frame pan left, and I tripped violently over a production chair just out of shot. A heavyset man, 30s, burst out laughing before saying to the other moviegoers, Sorry, something on my phone. I thought of after the movie, when we walked up the Stinson Alley stairs, Staring in people's windows and losing ourselves to the wistful whimsy of the night. We were constantly providing unwitting strangers with dialogue. Passers-by whom conversations we continued. Everything with us was a scene. It's how we flirted. It was our creativity that first attracted us to one another. Under the awning of the naval club where we fled the pelting of November hail and pretended the heavens were unhappy with our performance of the squabbling couple several blocks back. Where wrapped in a hoodie, clenched tightly down to her eyes, she said with a look through her raindrop-dewed lashes, You're wonderful. This, of course, while they were together. With five years of strolls as friends, we remained measured while they developed an unbreakable bond of comfort they mistook for love. At least, in the admittedly biased opinion of this dreamer. After all, I could see what she would not. And to that same token, I was equally short sighted, naive, incapable, or unwilling to see things for what they were or would be. Still, our innocent late-night walks spent geeking out on this and that, our fun. There was no greater show in town. And there on the stairs, hand in hand, with dumb, giddy smiles slapped across our faces, we giggled and we kissed and succumbed to the stars. There has never been a more blissful moment in my life. The thought gave me pause. Pause before going kerplunk in the pit of my stomach. Next to me on the love seat was an unopened letter from her, a letter I had strangely never noticed before. It was a letter in her handwriting, but cleaner, more elegant. Inside was a mass-produced greeting card, with a glossy, somewhat corporate photo of her wearing a cheer-up frown, with him standing in the blank white background and a caption in puffy text, like something you'd find in a motivational, if not consolatory space that read, Don't be down because it's over. Be happy because it happened. Genuinely glib, I thought, and I'm pretty sure plagiarized. I threw the card in the box and returned the lid. That's when I noticed it was leaking. For how long, I didn't know. The lap of my pants was stained ruby, and the underneath of the box soaked with fragrant wine and squishy to the touch, almost malleable. I poked my finger through with ease and quickly found it stuck. I yanked and pulled, and it released with a pop as wine gushed from the hole and onto the floor. Shit! I hurried from the love seat, wine spurting all over the place. I could smell it mixed with mustard and motor oil. Surely from the toy car, as I darted for the kitchen trash. The trash where after I said the silliest thing I had ever said to her, she smiled and said, I like you. The same spot I was standing sometime later when she called to say she was going back to him. I returned to the love seat, remarkably untouched by the wan and stood at the window peering through the pane, my face instantly vignetted by ice and gingerbready embellishments, charmingly whimsical and absurdly symmetrical. I saw her standing there in the snow waving up at me, chuckling under a cute little hat with a big fluffy palm, like nothing I'd ever seen on her, before shooting me an innocent smile and mouthing the words, come out and play. She joined the kids behind her, and together with light hearted laughter, they scurried away to take their places at the top of the hill. By the end of the week, the power was back on, and all the snow had melted. This has been a production of Thaddeus Ellenberg's Casual Friday. Written and read by Thaddeus Ellenberg. With an introduction by Nicole Kalasich. And artwork by Adrian Lobel. This series is independently produced by Thaddeus Ellenberg. To find more episodes and information, visit our website at tecasualfriday.com or email us at contact.casualfriday at gmail.com.